everybody. Thanks once again for um, listening in to thinking biblically about things that matter. We are going to we are going to start today a, a short series on the life and legacy of John Knox. Um, I am a big fan of church history. Um, I enjoy it. I'm. By no means an expert. I'm not an expert on Reformation era Europe. I'm not an expert on John Knox, um, but I enjoy digging into the biographies of of these um, great men and women of the faith from years gone by, and they're just incredibly helpful um, to us as we think about our own faith and um, the courage um, that we need and just the grace of God as he uses um, people who are very flawed um, and they've got their own idiosyncrasies and their own um, odd tendencies and their own ways where they are weak and sinful and and in some cases blind to their own um, blind to their own sinful tendencies and their own foolishness and so um, we're just thankful that God uses crooked sticks to, to beat straight lines. Um, because if he didn't use crooked sticks, he wouldn't be able to use me or you. So um, so I enjoy church history. I enjoy thinking about it, learning from it. And so I hope that this little series is a, um, is a blessing to you. So, so let's dig into the life of John Knox. John Knox was born in, probably born in 1514. Most experts believe that's that's about when he was born. He was born in a small town called Haddington, Scotland. Um, And so, so John Knox, he is, he is born just a little bit, just a couple of years before Martin Luther um, has the, the famous moment where he nails the 95 theses to the to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And so in some places in Europe, the, the Reformation is well underway by the time John Knox is born. Um, but it's not well underway in Scotland. Scotland is still um, under, the, um, under the dominion of the Catholic Church. Um, the Catholic Church is the one and only church in Scotland, and and the Catholic Church um, is a mess. And now, and this is, and and um, I am a Protestant. I'm a I'm a Baptist pastor, um, and so obviously I'm going to have um, huge issue with the doctrine of the Catholic Church. In any age, in any era, um, and and so um, and so obviously, yeah, there's there's many points of conflict. But um, but even people who were um, supportive or sympathetic towards um, Catholic dogma in 1500 Scotland um, took great issue with the way the church um, took care of business um, and. And um, so there's a, there's a lot of just problems in the Catholic Church. Um, the Catholic Church um, was, was incredibly wealthy. Um, it, 
it owned more than half of the the real estate um, in Scotland. Um, it was the, the Catholic Church brought in 18 times as much money as as the crown did every year in Scotland. So it's incredibly wealthy. Um, most of the bishops and priests were they were given their positions because they were connected um, politically. They were they had strong political connections. Um, they were openly immoral. There's all kinds of stories of priests and bishops having concubines and illegitimate children. Um, it, was, it, was, it was just a mess, sort of ethically, but the theology was a mess as well. Um, uh, um, it, it most notably, you saw this most notably in the masses. Um, it was very uh, common for people to purchase individual masses um, where a priest would, would um, for a small fee, uh, perform a mass. They would they would they would bow before Mary or one of the other saints, and they would pray to them for the soul for any soul the purchaser wanted prayed for. Right. So you wanted someone prayed for, you could go and have an individual mass said for them, um, and this was meant to bring forgiveness of venial sin, you know, sins that would get you to purgatory, not not mortal sins um, like eternal damnation kind of sins, but venial sins. Um, ones that where you'd have to do some time in purgatory for, um, so this would get those sins forgiven. It would it would get time in purgatory taken off, um, and so the the priests. This is this is how the church made money off of these individual masses, and um, and everything was in Latin. No one could hear or understand the word of God because it wasn't in a language that they understood, um, and and so there was a famine. Of the Word of God, um, Stephen Lawson has written a nice short biography of John Knox. Um, I, I highly recommend it, and and in and I'm a quote from it a few times in this lesson. And in that biography, said he says, at the dawn of the 16th century, a uh, at the at the dawn of the century 16th century, a thick spiritual darkness veiled the land of Scotland. The religious superstitions of Rome held the nation with an ironclad grip. The Bible was virtually a closed book, and the gospel of grace had been eclipsed by a popish religion of works righteousness. The clergy groped about in spiritual ignorance as blind leaders of the blind. A famine of the hearing of the word of God had left the nation impoverished and spiritually emaciated. And and Lawson was right. But... Things were starting to happen. Um, there was a constant sea traffic between Scotland and the rest of Europe. And so Martin Luther and, and others, other Reformation Protestant pamphlets were being smuggled into the country. Martin Luther's pamphlets, his tracts, um, his books, and then, and, then the, and then the works of other people as well. Slowly people were beginning to read about justification by faith alone. Uh, they were beginning to read about the danger of the Pope's abuses, the, the need for the Word of God and the language of regular people. Um, and, and so John Knox is, is growing up and he's, and he's entering university and, and most people believe that he studied theology at the University of St. Andrews. There's a little bit of debate on that, but it seems like, he, uh, it seems like there's, there's pretty, pretty clear record of him studying theology at the University of St. Andrews. And, and this would have ended with him becoming a priest normally, uh, but he, he didn't become a priest. Uh, I don't think there was a, there wasn't, it seems like there wasn't any posts available to him. He, he was born to a poor family, so maybe he didn't have the right connection to become a priest, or maybe there just wasn't anything available. So he becomes like a tutor, 
And so he is, he is going to university, he's graduating from university, he's studying theology, he's, he's working for noblemen, um, and, and as he is kind of coming into his own, um, the Protestant theology, grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, um, sola scriptura, scriptura you know, scripture alone, the, 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 the tenets of, the, of, of Protestant Reformed theology are starting to slowly take root in Scotland in a very underground way. And so there's the, the, uh, the Tyndale Bible, is the, the Tyndale translation of the New Testament uh, is, is being uh, proliferated throughout the country. There's, there's, so people are uh, um, being, they're able to kind of look at Scripture in, in their own language, um, read it. Um, there's, and then there's also like um, the... Uh, the, the the teaching of the Protestant um, faith is being proliferated proliferated throughout the country, and it's all very underground um, until um, there's a there's a couple of uh, a couple of men, a few men who go public with their Protestant beliefs, and and two of these men had a profound effect on John Knox. Um, first, there's this man named Thomas um, Guion. I probably going to butcher some of these names, um, but his name is Thomas Guion, something like that. He was a converted friar, and he is most likely the one who God used to convince Knox of the gospel. After spending time being mentored and taught by Guion, Knox came away committed to the Christian gospel. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. We don't know exactly when he became a Christian, but we know that it was John chapter 17 that God used to bring him in. Years later, on his deathbed, he wanted his wife to read John 17 to him because that was where he first cast his anchor. Um, I love that phrase. Um, and, and, and then secondly, there is this man um, named George Wisehart who began a ministry as a traveling preacher. Um, it, it, it might be pronounced Wishart, but I like to say Wisehart, so I'm going to say Wisehart. Anyhow, George W-I-S-H-A-R-T. Wiseheart is what I'm saying, and and he he began this ministry as a traveling preacher, and this is an incredibly dangerous thing to do, um, because Protestant teaching um, was um, very much banned um, during this time. Um, scripture was banned, um, and and any kind of teaching against the Catholic Church would have been heretical and banned. And so um, George Wiseheart is literally taking his life into his own hands by publicly. Um, going around the countryside, proclaiming the gospel, um, the, the gospel of faith alone in Christ alone, um, and then also warning people about the Pope's abuses and the, um, and the false teaching of the Catholic Church. It's a very dangerous thing to do. Well, John Knox becomes fascinated with George Wisehart, and, and, um, and he just becomes very impressed and um, very thankful for his ministry. And so um, John Knox decides to become George Wisehart's bodyguard. He has this two-edged sword that he carries around with him, um, and he goes wherever George Wisehart goes, and he, and he, and he, um, and he serves as his bodyguard. Um, well, uh, the time comes when we, we, the, the handwriting is on the wall, and, and George Wisehart knows it, and George Wisehart um, knows that the authorities are about to take him. Um, there's a, been an arrest issued out, a warrant for his arrest, basically, and, and they're, they're, com they're coming for him. And John Knox wants to stay with George Wisehart. He wants to stay with him and protect him, 
and defend him. And Weishart says, no, no, one sacrifice is enough. George Weishart knows he's going to be uh, martyred. He knows he's going to be executed. And so he sends um, John Knox and the rest of his followers away. And, and Weishart is indeed arrested. He is condemned. He is strangled. And he is burned at St. Andrew's Castle. And this happened in 1546. So John Knox is about 32 years old. I'm by now completely convinced of the gospel and completely convinced of the error and the danger um, and the idolatry, he says, of the Catholic Church. Um, Cardinal David Beaton was the man who ordered Weisart to be arrested, condemned, and executed. And soon after that, several of Weisart's supporters brutally murder the Catholic cardinal and, and they mutilated his body. All right, so I'm going to pause here for a moment and, and just um, point out that um, the, the history of the Reformation in Europe is messy. All right, it is, it is messy. Um, and it's also complicated. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's incredibly political. Um, it's oftentimes um, very military. <laughs> um, and, um, and it's complicated. And so there are, there are people like John Knox, John Calvin, Martin Luther, um, that they are, um, that they are pushing things, um, for purely theological reasons, right? They are looking for change. They are looking for reformation. They're looking to reform the church, um, for purely theological reasons. But then there are many other people who kind of jump in league with them, who, who kind of adopt the, the Protestant, the, 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 the Reformation groundswell, and, and they see that the tide is turning. Um, and so they, they jump in for political reasons, um, for financial reasons, for military reasons. And so not everyone who is pushing for the Reformation and is pushing for the downfall of the Catholic Church is doing so for um, pure motives, purely theological motives. So it's important to remember that. And so here, um, here's a situation where, where John Knox does not um, necessarily approve of this Catholic cardinal being... Um, uh, being murdered um, by George Weishart's supporters. Um, but um, after they storm St. Andrew's Castle and they, and they kill um, David Beaton, that, that castle does become a, a safe haven for Protestants. Um, it was sort of a Catholic stronghold, and now it's a safe haven for Protestants. And so many of the Protestants of the country rally to St. Andrew's Castle. Um, and so while they're there, um, John Knox is giving given increasing teaching responsibility at that castle. And so he starts off just kind of tutoring and mentoring a couple of young men, and then um, he catches sort of the eye and the ear of the, uh, the leadership there that's, that's there at the castle, um, and th they give him more and more responsibility, teaching responsibility, until finally it's just clear to everyone that he is called to preach. And this is something that John Knox is, it takes very seriously. He trembles at the idea of it, um, and, and, um, but he does um, finally accept the call um, to preach. 
um, and he begins um, publicly preaching at St. Andrew's Castle. Um, And Stephen Lawson says, uh, gripped by a sense of direct accountability to God, Knox preached his first public sermon on Daniel 7, 24-25 in Holy Trinity Parish Church, St. Andrew's. Throughout his exposition, Knox declared his Protestant convictions with unmistakable precision and power. The sermon was delivered with the force of a lightning bolt from heaven. It was said by those who heard him, Others lop off the branches of the papistry, but he, Knox, striketh at the root also to destroy the whole. Some concluded, Master George Wisehart never spoke so plainly, and yet he was burnt. Even so will John Knox be. From this time forward, Knox ministered as a marked man. After this inaugural sermon, Knox would later affirm that St. Andrew's was that place where God first in public opened my mouth to his glory. For the remainder of his life and ministry, Knox asserted, I must be blowing my master's trumpet. Few preachers in the history of the church have ever sounded forth the word of God with such intense fervor and strong convictions as did this stout Scot. And it was soon after that, that in this uh, sort of official official declaration, the church at St. Andrews um, threw off their, their association with the Catholic Church and... and um, and officially sort of formed themselves as a Protestant congregation, as a Protestant church. And so it seems like the Reformation is off to a great start in Scotland. There is a strong headquarters to work from in St. Andrews, um, but then St. Andrews Castle was attacked by the staunchly pro-Catholic French. Um, you'll, you'll notice sort of in the story of, of John Knox and the Scottish Reformation, that the the Scottish crown was often in league with the French. French the, the France was always staunchly Catholic, um, and and so and there was often um, a um, there's there's often a, a tight bond between the Scottish crown and the French crown, and oftentimes French soldiers were dispatched um, to take care of Protestant uprisings um, in Scotland. And that's what happens here. Um, St. Andrew's, um, the, the, the French Navy attacks St. Andrew's Castle, it, 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 and, um, and Protestants are bombed, forced to surrender, Stephen Lawson says. Um, and, and then for 19 months, um, for 19 months, Knox and 120 of, of the people who were with him were consigned to be um, galley slaves in the hull of a French battleship. Uh, Lawson says that um, he was chained; that Knox was chained to an oar with little food, deplorable sanitation, and rampant galley fever. Um, Knox was scorched and blistered in the blazing sun, and would shiver on the damp, cold nights during this long period of intense suffering. Knox grew physically weak, and his health suffered significantly due to, due to the deplorable conditions. Aboard this ship, repeated offers were made by his French captors to drive Knox back to Catholicism. On one occasion, a statue of Mary was thrust in his face, and they tried to force him to kiss the image. He resolutely resisted. Trouble me not. Such an idol is accursed, and therefore I will not touch it. Throwing the icon overboard, Knox vehemently proclaimed, Let Our Lady now save herself. She is light enough. Let her learn to swim. Um, this is the way Knox um, often engaged with his theological enemies. 
Soon, however, um, uh, Knox, after, well, not soon, but after a couple of years, uh, almost two years, as a galley slave, um, the Protestant king of England, James, or not James, Edward VI, um, negotiates the release of, um, of Knox and the other slaves um, from the French. They're, they're given their freedom. Um, and so England at this time is, um, is Protestant. Um, and, uh, and so the, the, the relationship between, among, um, France and England and Scotland is, is always sort of in flux. There's a lot of moving pieces, um, and, uh, um, and it's, it's, there's always a little bit of a, a theological battle going on. There's always a little bit of a, a political battle going on as well, um, especially between England and, and France, um. And so, but here England um, secures the release of these of these um, prisoners, but um, Knox knows that it would not be safe to go back to Scotland. Um, there's really no way forward for him there yet. He 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 feels that it would not be wise um, to go back to Scotland. Um, it's just not safe there. It's it's very safe, however, to go to England. And so he goes to England um, and and um, ministers there. Um, um, throughout his time in England, um, Knox pastored a few different churches, um, and he became increasingly known for his clear biblical preaching. Uh, in private life, he was small and often sick. I, I don't, I'm not sure that he ever fully recovered um, from his 19 months as a galley slave. Um, he was in, in private life. He was often he was often um, just very sick. But while he was preaching, he thundered, um, even being known to almost splinter the pulpit. His passion was that Christ be known throughout the preaching of his word. He said, I did distribute the bread of life as of Christ Jesus I received it. My honor was that Christ should reign. My glory that the light of his truth should shine in you. And this singular passion, this passion for the glory of Christ through the clear preaching of the word uh, grabbed the attention of many people in England. And soon, I mean, he, he was, so, soon, soon he was asked to serve um, even as chaplain to the Protestant king, Edward VI. He was also offered like um, sort of hierarchy um, positions within the Church of England that he turned down. He, he didn't really want a, like, a, like a bishop type of a position. He, he wanted to preach every Sunday, uh, but he accepted the, the role as chaplain. Um, and it was a, it was a significant, influential uh, role. And so while he was in England, Knox used his influence to fight against the ways that he felt the Church of England was too Catholic. The Church of England had broken off from the Catholic Church, but there were still elements in their worship that smacked of Catholic idolatry, and, and Knox was quick to take them to task over it. Well, things were going pretty well in England, um, and he served there for several years, um, but then tragedy struck. The Protestant king, Edward VI, died suddenly, and his very Catholic sister, Mary I, uh, soon took the throne. She became known as Bloody Mary because she went on the warpath against Protestant reformers, uh, eventually having more than 270 of them executed. Knox once again saw the writing on the wall, and he left England, this time for the European continent. It still wasn't safe to go um, back to Scotland, and so he... Um, goes to the continent now. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't love this idea. He's, for one thing, he has met a woman and he has asked her to marry him. Her name is Marjorie Bowles and, and he's leaving her behind in England. Um, and, and, and he doesn't like that idea. And secondly, he doesn't like 
he feels cowardly. He, he writes, um, I have in the beginning of this battle appeared to play the faint-hearted and feeble soldier. Yet my prayer is that I may be restored to the battle again. He, he's convinced that he needs to um, sort of retreat here. Um, but he, he doesn't love the idea of it, and he's looking forward to the day he can get back into the battle. Um, but even though he has fled to another country, uh, Knox is still going to, from a distance, um, continue to urge the Englishman to stand firm. Um, he's going to write strong letters uh, that were circulated ar- around the English countryside, urging the English not to be co- coerced by Queen Mary, who he called Jezebel, and, and, and he urged them to flee idolatry by refusing to attend Mass. Um, and, and, and he was also... Um, Knox spoke um, openly and freely um, about the idea of a violent overthrow of government. He he sincerely believed that if a king or queen required their subject to attend mass, that that king or queen should be stopped by any means necessary. And so he really was it. He he departed from the from the teaching of the rest of the reformers when it came to this kind of stuff. The rest of them didn't um, didn't speak in these kinds of ways. But but Knox even wrote in one of his letters to the believers in England, he said, Dearly beloved in our Savior Jesus Christ, hope you against hope and against all worldly appearance. For so assuredly as God is immutable, so assuredly shall he stir up one Jehu or another to execute his vengeance upon these bloodthirsty tyrants and obstinate idolaters. Um, throughout his life, um, Knox is going to we'll see um, in our next lesson, we'll see that he he does go back to Scotland and his preaching stirs up in some people um, some pretty violent behavior. It's it, they, not, not that they're violent towards um, people, but they, but they ransack um, churches and they tear down icons and they, and you know, they, they make a pretty big mess. And, um, and, and his preaching is of the sort that sort of stirs that up in people. Um, but even, um, and we have that here. Now, he doesn't condone violence. And he, he and in fact, in a few years when he's in Scotland, he'll call them, you know, the, the rascal multitude that did this or something like that. But there's also this, um, this way in which he speaks um, that um, very much is, Fine. Well, he's the way he preaches. He's fine with some Jehu coming along and 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 getting rid of Bloody Mary, who he calls Jezebel. You know, and so um, he's a he's a complicated person in that way. He's clear, convictional preaching, um, but it was taken by many in his time um, to to um, to condone violence. So, anyhow. So throughout this time, as he's he's not in England, but he is writing these letters, trying to encourage them to stand to to, to stand strong and to resist idolatry and to um, and to hold on because you know help is coming. Um, during this time, he spent some time under the tutelage of John Calvin um, in Geneva, and then he pastored an English-speaking church in Germany. And now that pastor, it didn't end well, and it's difficult to know where to lay the blame for the for the breakup, but probably faults on both sides. Knox's fervor to rid the church of anything remotely Catholic often rubbed people the wrong way. Um, and after that, um, after that 
uh, um, pastorate, he decides to, he strongly wanted to return to England. So he does, and he goes and he marries his fiancée. They'd been apart for a few years. Um, he, he goes to England, he marries his fiancée, and he also really wants to go and minister in Scotland. Um, so he does. He goes for just a few months, but he goes to Scotland, and he is thrilled when he gets there. He finds many um, what was called privy kirks, which is just private churches in and around the towns of Scotland. And he was glad to travel to them, preaching the tenets of Protestant theology. I mean, he found these churches. They were studying Scripture together. The, the Tyndale um, copy of translation of Scripture had been, um, at, at least to a certain degree, um, um, spread about through Scotland. And so these churches would get together and they would study God's word together in their own language. Um, and they were committed to um, the tenets of, of Protestant theology. And so he, he was just thrilled. He, he went from Privy Kirk to Privy Kirk and, um, and preached the gospel um, and, and preached hard against Catholicism and, he, and, and, and preached hard for um, the, the sol, sola scripture, so, sola um, the, the five solas, the um, faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone, um, through Scripture alone. He, he, um, he preached and preached and preached. Um, but because of his strong preaching, uh, he, he once again gained um, attention from the authorities. And he had to um, make the, the, the hard decision once again um, to, to retreat to leave the country, to go back to the continent, uh, to go back to Geneva. Um, and again, he didn't love this idea, but he knew, in, he, he, he knew that the wisest thing was for him to, um, to retreat for a time. Well, so he goes back 1556 to 1559, and he's preaching, ministering mostly with an English-speaking congregation in Geneva. Um, and it's during this time... Uh, that he writes his infamous, the, the first blast of the trumpet against the monstrous regiment of women. Um, that's his most famous or infamous um, book that he ever wrote. Um, and the, even, his, even his most ardent supporters really wished he wouldn't have done that. He was good friends with John Calvin, and John Calvin would not allow this book to be um, published and spread about in Geneva. It was, it was banned in Geneva. Um, and that's because... Um, if you're looking at it from a charitable way, I, I look at John Knox um, charitably. Um, I do. And um, I, I'm impressed with him in many ways. Um, and so I understand what he was trying to do with this. Um, he's, he's distraught over the way Bloody Mary was persecuting Protestants in England, and he was troubled by the plans that the, that the Scottish Queen Regent, so, so the Scottish Queen Regent, another woman named Mary, uh, Mary of Guise, um, she was staunchly pro-Catholic, and the way she was persecuting Protestant believers um, in Scotland, and then also um, he, Mary, Queen of Scots, who is the actual queen, but she's still very young. Um, so Mary of Guise is the queen regent. She's the one who's actually wielding the power. Uh, but her daughter, Mary, queen of Scots, is the one who's going to sit on the throne. She, she is the queen. She's still just too young. Her, her daughter is, is engaged to the very Catholic um, French Dauphin, or the, the um, crown prince of France, going to be king of France. Um, and so, um, and, and they're all just staunchly pro-Catholic um, and, and persecuting 
um, persecuting the Protestant believers. Um, and so Knox is greatly troubled by this, and he's also just greatly troubled by the fact that no one really seems to be standing up to them and admonishing them and, and, and pushing back. Um, the, 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 the noblemen who have the, who have the voice, they're just not using their voice. Um, and so, so he writes this first blast of the trumpet. And, and unfortunately what happens is he, he, he wanders back and forth in the document from, from calling out, um, the, the actual wickedness of these queens, um, because they are, they are, um, persecuting true believers and they are being wicked in that way. But he, but then he also, what he does though, he is, he is, he then spends far too much time, um, talking about the fact that, that it's actually wicked for a woman to be queen at all. Um, you know, to promote a woman to bear, he says in this book, to, pro- promo- to promote a woman to bear rule, superiority, dominion, or empire above any realm, nation, or city is repugnant to nature, contumely, or, or in- insulting, insolent to God, a thing most contrarious to his re- revealed will and approved ordinance. And finally, it is the subversion of all good order um, or all equity and justice. And so he he talks uh, how abominable before God is the empire or rule of a wicked woman, but then sometimes he just falls into any woman. It's bad if any woman is ruling. And so, um, so it's he unfortunately he equates um, the rule of a wicked woman with the rule of any woman, and and the book just comes off very harsh, very brash, um, and and again it's something that even his most ardent supporters had a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, supporting. And so, um, and it's also hard for us to, to look at this charitably, even though I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand this is what he's going for. I, um, and he just went way too far. Um, it's, it's unfortunate when we're trying to sort out, um, what's happening, what, what John Knox is trying to do and trying to, when, when we're, tr- we're trying to be charitable with him, it's hard for us, um, because John Knox is writing all of this, and he's not really in the battlefield. You know, he's 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 taking these pot shots at these women, and he's also um, trying to get the the noblemen to admonish these queens and all of that. But he himself is is really hiding away in Geneva. He's he's out of the battle. He's he's where it's safe. Um, and and so it's hard for us to to really support. We we'd have a hard time supporting everything that's written in that book, anyhow. But it's hard for us, especially since he is writing this from miles away. The safety of the the, the safety of of a country where it's um, where it's okay to be Protestant. Um, and so so anyhow, what we're going to see next week is that John Knox doesn't stay out of the fight. He gets into it. He, he, has, he has bided his time, and he's waited, and, and he's going to make his move. So we're going to see that in our, in our next lesson. Um, we're going to see that um, as, as Mary, uh, Bloody Mary dies, um, and so the, her, her rule in England is done. The staunchly Protestant um, or at least very Protestant friendly, Elizabeth I becomes queen, and 
and John Knox sees this as um, it's it's time for him um, to to go to Scotland to face the the Catholic Mary of Guise and her Catholic daughter and uh, and let the chips fall where they may. So we'll we'll see how that goes for him um, in our next lesson. And uh, until then, uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>